King's Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Welcome to King's Church. Good to have you all here. Uh, Christmas Sunday. I'm excited to share a little bit about out of the uh, scripture on the story of Christmas from a, an interesting perspective. Um, but if you will stand with me, we do this thing for the reading of the word where we all stand together and we all say the scripture together. It's a reminder that God's word is important, it's significant. If we believe in it and take it into our lives, it can change us forever. So with me together, starting in verse eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Father, we just thank you for this Sunday. Uh, We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your word. Let it be good seed that's planted into the soil of our heart, Lord, that would bear the fruit of the kingdom of heaven, that wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we touch, the fruit of heaven would fall off of our branches and your kingdom seed would be spread throughout our worlds. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor, say, would you get me this year? And you could be seated. I don't know if anybody's done the five love languages. You guys know the five love languages? Lupe, you know it? I'm a gift giver, and, and it's the best to be in the receiver as well. So it's like how I'm really, you can tell me I'm great, but if you give me a Lamborghini, then I know you really love me, which makes it hard for my wife because she's not a gift giver and I'm a gift receiver, and I'm a gift giver, and I usually give her something that's right, like spot on the money, and she gives me something that is... She's got a good track record. We're getting there. We're, we're, we're 14 years in. We're getting closer each year. <laughs> um, so welcome to King's Church. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. We believe that um, worship is an opportunity to actually touch God's heart, the living God, and interact with God in a living intangible way that we can speak to him and he can communicate with us that every time that we come into his presence in the worship sense in the in the joint celebration of his goodness that he actually is there to speak to us if we will grab what he has for us in faith and and hear concomitantly with the message that if we would listen with a heart to hear what god would say he would have something for you in your life this morning through this passage of scripture that is a story of of what happened 2,000 years ago, but it's living and breathing and active. Um, 
living and breathing, unlike the Constitution. Okay, let us continue. <laughs> um, so I'm, I was thinking about this portion of Scripture. I was thinking about the, the Christmas story, and my family growing up, we always did Christmas on Christmas Eve, the night before Christmas. We were just too excited to wait for the morning, and my parents would all let us all open our presents on Christmas Eve before the Christmas morning. And it's a wise strategy as a parent because you get to sleep in on Christmas morning, and your kids are for you know a couple of hours playing with their toys and fun and doing all this kind of stuff. And I've always been a Christmas hound. Just the season is fun, the lights are fun, the cutting down the tree is fun. And I was thinking about the Christmas experience as kind of a cultural icon, the backing of which is our, well, for us as believers, the backing, the backdrop of which is this Jesus story. It's really long and there's way too much for me to say all of it. And I just get fixated on like a verse or a part of the story. And I was thinking, what if we just talked about only the shepherds and the angels? Really narrow our focus down to this really bizarre interaction between these people that are truly on the polar opposite ends of existence, almost. Like, you can't contrast, there's not a greater contrast than the shepherds and the angels. And I think it so well encapsulates the gospel story and the heart of God and his desire to communicate and redeem man in this simple, short passage of Scripture. And you have Joseph and Mary and the Immaculate Conception and all of these cool things. But right here, this part of Scripture is Jesus is born, and then God decides who he will share the news with first. And it's profound. And it's like heaven is undulating with excitement. It's like it has to burst forth somewhere because God has come to earth. And the grand story, the cosmic narrative is exploding onto earth. And God has to tell human beings about it. And these angels, man, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. So that's what I'm going to share about. So this, this is like a two-part perspective. On the one part, you have the, the giant cosmic story that most of us here today know, that Adam ate of the wrong fruit, that God set man in paradise and said, my desire is for man to live in flourishing and tend to flourishing and multiply the flourishing, that the earth would be covered with the flourishing of God. And it's still a promise that is going through us today that the place where you live or work or exists, the relationships around you, the places where you go would be places that flourish with the goodness of God, right? That there is actually a, a pattern that he originally gave and Jesus came to redeem the earth from the curse and to reinitiate the flourishing. And we have churches that are fixated on the eternal, which is a very important thing, but they forget about the flourishing of the earth that God originally entrusted man with. That it was a gift to man, that the palette of expression that God gave to mankind was a gift to express the goodness of God in these beautiful things that he's given us. And I love that idea, a palette of expression. And as you're a kid, you can get a toy, and a toy can be a G.I. Joe, and you can you do this kind of thing, like, here's my G.I. Joe right here, this pick that Eric gave me, and you go, hey, I'm going to fight the bad guy, and you're limited into this certain story with this guy, but if you're given a musical instrument, if you're given a piece of painting, you have a palette 
of which expression can be developed upon. And to each individual human being that is given a guitar, a, a painting palette, a piano or whatever, they have a palette of expression so that their life and their desires and their dreams and their wishes and their, their heartbreak can be expressed upon the palette. So God gives man a palette for which to express himself made in the image and likeness of God to, for things to flourish, for the world to flourish. And we know the story, Adam eats the apple and the world is broken integrally made in the image of God, fundamentally made in the image of God, integrally corrupt, like a virus went into the corpus and corrupted it, and the virus will kill it if it's not redeemed and healed. And for 4,000 years from the history that we have in the Bible, is 4,000 years from this point of Adam eating and then Jesus showing up on the scene. Why do we care about how long it is? It's really interesting because God in Genesis chapter 15, which we'll get to in a few weeks for those of us who are following the Abram story, promises Abram that the children of Israel will be enslaved in darkness for 400 years and that the death of a firstborn will redeem them from, will create the way for them to be saved and leave the bondage of Egypt and walk into freedom toward the promised land. This 400 year period is what God promises the to Egypt, but mankind is in a 4,000 year period. And before Jesus comes, there is theologian call it the 400 year period of silence. Between the last prophet that speaks to Jesus, excuse me, speaks of from God to the people of Israel, and when Jesus comes on the scene, the people of Israel are waiting for a word from God, and they receive the word as God. Why? It's just cool. It's just cool stuff that God's into. I just love that God is a God of patterns and ways. He's not sporadic. He's not random. He's not accidental. He's not bumbling through the universe. He's tuned this narrative for him to be the hero and redeem us back to what we're called to be. And so we have this gigantic cosmic narrative and 400 years of silence have been the state of the people of Israel, darkness and bondage to the lack of hearing God's voice and the word of God comes in flesh. And it's this amazing, humongous picture. I, I was writing about it and um, I wrote like the, the cosmic thicket of our existential jungle or something like that. Just big, humongous. And in the midst of it, the angels appear on a hillside to shepherds. Exactly the opposite place on the narrative of the cosmic story. On, uh, you open the book on the spine in the middle where God decides to show up is in the manger and who he decides to tell are these shepherds on a hillside. And if you're an asking person, you have to ask the question, well, why? Why would he do that? Why would he show up to shepherds? Um, and there's, some, there's the big picture stuff like, well, shepherds are this picture of humility. You know, shepherds are God's a God of the people. He's not just for the king and he's not just for, he doesn't show up to lawyers, unfortunately, right? He doesn't show up to merchants. He doesn't show up to economists. He shows up, 
He shows up to not only shepherds, he shows up to the night shift shepherds. And it says this, they're not even like the shepherds that own all the sheep. It says that they're living out in the fields with the sheep. And I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever met a night shift shepherd before. They're not clean people. Like, I don't know how they were then, but now today, like the, you have farmers, but the night shift farmers are guys that aren't at the top of the echelon, right? They're not gunning for position. They're just barely making it. They're just, make, they're just barely there. When I was in my early 20s, I, my brother Robert lived in this little tiny town. I grew up in a little tiny town. It was a different tiny town, and I had to find it in the middle of the night. It's like 11 o'clock at night, and I had just got home from college, and I wanted to go visit him in his new apartment. And so I'm driving through the, these back roads, upstate New York, and there's no cell phone reception. And I've never been to his apartment before, and I don't know where it is. And he like, gave me very vague directions, and it's this little kind of dark, oppressive feeling town. And I walk up these back stairs, I park my car in the town, and I'm kind of wandering the town, and I'm like, I see a light in this house, and I'm like, oh, that's probably his house. I don't know why I thought it was his house. And so I'm walking up the stairs to this house, and the door is like ajar, and there's like somebody in there. And so I kind of open the door and step into the kitchen. <laughs> why, why? It's like 11, that's the point, it's 11.30 at night, and I'm kind of like inching into the kitchen. <laughs> And I peer around the door, and it's not my brother at all. <laughs> it's this total stranger that I have just broken in entering. I have just broken the law. The statute of limitations, limitations has passed on this. But, uh, and I, like, oh my God, I'm, I, I gingerly sneak out of the guy's house and down the stairs. And I get in the car, and I'm like, driving away quickly. And there is this dairy farm with the lights on. And I'm like, well, probably nighttime workers in the dairy farm, so let me get in there. I'll call and yell at my brother for not giving me directions. I could have got shot in that guy's house. Um, and I walk into the dairy farm. Another situation, like, why didn't I knock on the door? I don't know why. It was a weird night. I just opened the door and I walk into this dairy farm, and there are all of these like cow milking accoutrements, greasy all over the place. It is nasty. It's a gross place. And I, I'm like, you know, like you're trying to get your orientation to a place you haven't been. You're kind of like looking around the cow greasy ugh, and stuff. And there's a table like 15 feet long and it is covered in pornography. Covered. And it's like a commercial entity. And this guy walks in the door on the other side of me and he's very large. He has very large overalls on and no undershirt. And he walks into the door and he says, what do you want? And I'm like, Nothing. And I just walked out the door and I left. So the night shift shepherds may not have been that bad, but they are not. They are not the people of worth and wealth. And God, in the midst of this wild cosmic story where he's redeeming the entire universe, decides it's appropriate to reveal himself first and foremost to the broken, to the, the shepherd, to the person that's out there watching the sheep. And so, but why else, right? Because there's got to be more than that. We know God, he reaches low. He's stripping himself of his, his divinity. He's doing this amazing paradox. But why else? I'll tell you why else right here. There is um, two sets of law for 
the Jew at that time. There is the Torah, which is the written law of Moses, and there is the Mishnah, which are the oral traditions that are essentially, if you think of it this way, there's a law, and I don't know how to interpret this law in context A, B, C, and D. So there's an oral law that has all of these additional laws. So the original law from Moses to the people, from God through Moses to the people of Israel has are 613 laws, positive and negative laws, what you should do, proscript and, and prescriptive, what you shouldn't do and should do, right? The Mishnah has one to 2,000 extra laws to try to interpret the original 613. So the people of Israel are living underneath the burden of all of this legislation. You are not allowed to have in a town a flock, or close to the town you're not allowed to have a flock of sheep because they have sheep byproducts of whatever and they die and all this kind of stuff. In the, at the time in the nation of Israel, you're not allowed to have flocks of sheep. So the theologians say, because this is the case, because there were shepherds keeping their herds at night, watching over the flock, these sheep were specifically meant for the Passover. They were sheep that were designated to be slaughtered as the sacrifice for sin for the people of Israel. So the shepherds are not just night shepherds. They're also guarding over a sacrifice for the people of Israel that Jesus would come and replace. The angels come to the guardians of the sacrifice that are guarding the lambs to be slain for the people of Israel for Passover that is soon to come and they're saying rejoice because there's good news. There is coming great joy to all people. We'll get into the text in a, a second, but here's this, here's this secondary picture that no longer will you need the animal sacrifice because a new sacrifice has come. The sacrifice for the world, for the remission of sin, for the curse to be broken, for the redemption of the world. So you got this cosmic picture, good versus evil, the story of God, the devil, the fall of man, and the angels come, the one angel comes down and declares this message to the shepherds, the shepherds that are guarding sheep for the sacrifice. It's very specific. It's not random. It's not accidental. It's exactly according to the plan and purposes of God. Is that cool or what? So verse 9 says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So I, I always like to ask the question when I'm reading a passage of Scripture. I, I always like to say, well, like, so the shepherd. Well, what is the shepherd? What are they doing? Who are their jobs? And then, you know, you research and figure out that who the heck these guys are. And when you say, an, when you hear an angel appeared... You can do one of two things. You could say, okay, it's a Christmas story. Uh-huh, that's nice. Or you could say, what the heck is that thing? And why does history and all of these scriptures, of which there are 23,000 copies of these original documents, say time and time again to a, to a people group who believe that lying is 
a deadly sin, why are they telling the story about an angel that's showing up on a hillside? Who is this entity and what is he doing, right? That's the question that should be asked. We should say, what, what is happening here that these guys are out shepherding sheep at night and an entity from another dimension appears before them? Okay, this is intense, right? It's more Halloween than Christmas at this point. Um, it says, this is um, Thayer's lexicon, one of, one of the more um, leaned upon lexicon. It says, in the scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, one of, an angel is one, that of, one of the host of heavenly spirits that according alike to Jewish and Christian opinion, wait upon the monarch of the universe and are sent by him to earth to execute his purposes to make them known to man, hence the frequent expression angel or messenger of God. The word angel in the Greek, the derivative, the meaning is messenger, one who brings a message of God, carrier of the message. And they are not only subject to God, but subject to Christ. Hebrews 1.4, 1 Peter 3.22, Ephesians 1.21, who is described as hereafter to return Jesus to judgment, surrounded by a multitude of angels as his servants and attendants. And this is wild. Single angels have charge over separate elements of earth, such as fire, Revelation 14, 18, and the waters, Revelation 16, 5, and wind, Revelation 7, 1, John 5, 4. So we're talking about entities that have massive power. They stand before the monarch of the universe. Wow, it's a powerful word. The ruler the king, monarch, king, ruler of the universe to do his bidding on earth. And it says this, but the angel brought the message, that's who he is, is a messenger. He brought the message and said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. And sometimes when we read fast through passages especially ones we've heard or grown up with, it's easy to skip through what is actually being said. And I stopped at this thing. It says, you know, first of all, don't be afraid. Well, that's appropriate, right? Because the night shepherds are going to be terrified. They're just going to be absolutely terrified that there is some kind of being from another world that shows up at all and has anything to say or is even there is going to be absolutely terrifying. So the angel first has to say, don't be afraid. The message that I'm bringing to you is great joy. And then this is the phrase that stand, stood out to me. A savior has been born to you. And that's what I love the touchdown of the gospel that to he didn't the angels didn't say and unto the universe the christ has been born unto the kings of the world who will soon be revealed to the christ he says unto you shepherds night shepherds out here on the hillside in the middle of the night watching the sheep to you a savior's been born independent of your place, posture, or positioning to you independently this Christmas to look upon Jesus and to say he was born for me personally, for my redemption. It's so, uh, when we have a hard time with sin, with doing wrong, with guilt, with shame, it's so hard to believe that he would be born for me, but the initial message of the angel is unto you shepherds 
Jesus has been born. And it continues, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And so there are two pictures here. And the one picture is that these, a bunch of commentaries say the same exact thing. These strips of cloth that Jesus is lying in are reminiscent to the strips of cloth that he will be buried in. So his coming is a picture of sacrifice from day one. He's replacing the sheep on the hillside. He's taking, the, he's being the, new, the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth to take away the sin of the world immediately. And then secondly, the picture of grave clothes. But I was thinking about this manger picture that he's laid in this trough, uh, this, uh, a feeding place for animals. We had, um, we, had, we had bad dogs my whole life. <laughs> if, you have a, if you have bad dogs, there's a reason. That every dog is bad, there's a reason. It's usually not the dog's fault. And um, I got this dog for Christmas when I was uh, fourth grade, I think, third, fourth grade, and he was just a wild lunatic of a dog. And I probably didn't feed him as much as I should have, right? Lord forgive me in Jesus' name. And so when he got, got fed, he would just go berserk over the dog food. And one day, um, my friend, uh, we were, my dad was, was not a pastor of a church at the time. The pastor's kid was over, and he had this piece of, of uh, pizza crust. And he was whacking my dog on the nose with his pizza crust. And like, it's not a good idea to whack a starving dog on the nose with a pizza crust. And he's just like whacking him. And the dog lunges for the, it's a little cocker spaniel, lunges for the pizza crust and eats my friend's face on accident and literally bites off a piece of his lip. <laughs> Which just kind of looks kind of like pizza crust. And, and I can understand the dog's position. Uh, the dog did not last very much longer. It's a sad day in the, in the Englehart house <laughs> later. Um, the pastor was none too pleased either that his son had his lip bitten off. Animals eating is a funny kind of thing, right? Animals going after what they don't have are it's just kind of, it's ravenous, right? It's, and even animals that are that are cared for, they're only fed once or twice a day, usually in the farm context, and they'll gallop into the barn for food. My brother Donald had a horse for about 10 minutes, and it would, the same thing, like it would gallop into the, into the barn for food. And I was thinking about Jesus being laid in a feeding place for animals. And I was thinking about the babe I mean, certainly, again, there's this picture of God stripping himself of his divinity and being brought into a place. There's no room for him in the inn, right? The, the people of Bethlehem, the, the city of David, there's no room for Jesus. And, of course, the common message is, and true, how often is it when Jesus comes to our homes, there is no room for him. And he's cast out into this manger, this place where animals eat and sleep and feed and do all kinds of stinky animal things inside it. And the king of glory as a baby, vulnerable to the, the, the brutality of the elements, is laying in a trough in a feeding place. And so we said there's this cosmic story 
And Adam initially ate, and Eve ate of the free, excuse me, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it brought the curse. And the scripture tells us that Jesus is the bread of life come down from heaven. And there's like a dimensional shift here, like God being fed to humans. Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. That he's seated, laying in a trough for this world to come and consume of him, of who he is. And, and the angels say to the shepherd, it is a sign to you that you will see the babe wrapped. Like, first of all, like, isn't, aren't the angels on the hillside sign enough? <laughs> like we just had these things, these magical beings flying all over the place. The sign that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Christ is coming is that you will find him wrapped in preparation for his future, for his sacrifice, and laying in a place for man, for the animals, for us, who have been broken, we have ingested sin, we have our, our, the divinity that we were originally made in the likeness of has been diminished, and it's this idea that we are called to come and eat of the Savior of the world who's the bread of life, that if any man comes and drinks, he will not thirst. If you eat, you won't hunger anymore. You'll be filled with his life and his goodness and his living presence. And so just in the picture of the whole Christmas story, just the shepherds and the angels is the entire picture of the gospel. The redemption of mankind, God coming to a broken people that did absolutely nothing to deserve him, to acquire him in the midst of 400 years of silence to the people of God. The word of God comes in flesh to be taken by us, a gift from heaven to earth. And I don't think it gets more like the gospel than that. I just want to read this last um, thing I wrote last night. The greatest, the greatest God to be abased, God condescending to take human form, the creator being stripped of dimensional divinity, coming to earth in vulnerability, the lamb to be slain, the bread of life, someone like you for someone like me. And that little tag we were singing, I wrote a song that that tag is associated with. And when I was writing that song, I was thinking about the posture and position of the shepherds. They're out on the hillside. They haven't done anything. They don't deserve it. And someone like you for someone like me. God that would sacrifice himself for me. There are two ways to receive a gift like that. The one way is maybe, well, probably more than two, there's, there's the way that there's no room in the inn, right? There's the way that, sorry, I don't have room. My son Leon had his 10th birthday this week, and we, um, we got him a big present, which was a show, a Broadway show he really wanted to see. And then because it was actually his birthday, I figured he probably wanted something to open, right? And he opened... He opened this present that Bethany, we got him boots and something else ridiculous. And he opened the boots, he's like, yay, boots. <laughs> Snow boots. Classic 10-year-old boy. And we got him this other like paper airplane thing. It would cost like $3. Because I wanted him to open something. And he opened it and he's like, ooh, what's, you know, he's all excited. <laughs> he opens it, he's like, what is this? But when I told him 
the night we were going to the Broadway show, I had been seeding in his mind, this is a good dad trick, like there's no way we'd ever go to something that expensive. It would never happen. Like you grow up and get a job and you can go yourself. And, and we were on the subway and we were going towards, I brought him to the office uh, on Thursday, and we were going, heading up to Midtown to the show, and I said, Leon, I got your, we're going to get your business, a Christmas present. He said, oh man, I can't wait to bring it home. And I said, well, you can't exactly carry it. And he's like, well, what do you mean I can't carry it? And I was like, that's not the kind of present that you can pick up and take home. And he's like, well, what is it? And so I said to him, whatever, I tricked him again a couple of times until I finally, just like twisting the knife the dad and I finally said we got you I got you tickets to this Broadway show you've been wanting to see and he started going I can't believe it am I being pranked am I on a prank show right now dad am I on a prank show and like the pe- he's sitting next to a guy and there's another guy from my office that happened to be and he's doing this whole charade he was so excited he kept doing like this hands in his head oh, this was the best birthday if you ask him he said I think he said to David he said it's the best birthday of my life um, you know, the greatest gifts are the ones that we don't expect. And in silence, in the 400 years of silence, in the, in the 4,000 years pre-Jesus, that the gift that we couldn't expect is that God himself would come down to redeem the story, to change our lives and give us the opportunity to receive of him. And I'm grateful for it this Christmas. And that's all I got to say. So why don't you stand up with me? We're going to pray. Lord, I just thank you for the gift of your son. God, I thank you for the goodness of your heart as a father to give to your children yourself that you would come in vulnerability and take on humanity and become the bread of life that if we partake of, that we can live forevermore. A, a, A gift so great and so amazing that the angels would sing in the heavens, God. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, and God, we just ask that in this season, Lord, keep our focus rightly placed, God. Keep our focus rightly fixed on you and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Babe, you want to lead us? Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.